This is the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cohen Franz. If you would like to support and be part of our community, you can start by visiting zennovascotia.com. We've been talking about the eight awakenings of great beings or the eight awakenings of adults. And we've reached number five. And it's a big can of worms. The fifth awakening is not to neglect mindfulness. Mindfulness is a word that's having a moment in the culture. And there's much more to be said about it than we can say in a short time like we have this evening, but we need to discuss it a little bit. I stared at this for a long time, thinking thinking that I didn't remember this word being here. And I finally went and looked at the original and found that it's it's a loose translation. I, I think that we have a tendency now in the Buddhist world in general, whenever we come across a word that has anything to do with attention, we translate it as mindfulness, uh, which in some ways is an easy shorthand, but in other ways uh, tends to stir a lot of separate things into one stew. The actual word for mindfulness here is... Uh, what it says is not to forget your object of attention. The the last character is Nen. It's a favorite one. uh, If you're familiar with Chinese characters, you know that often they're made up of other Chinese characters, so there's a little story. And this particular one is, is so straightforward in that the top part means now or the present. And the bottom part means the mind. So it's the mind of now. And it's often used as, again, as an object of attention. Uh, In some ways, some cases, a very concrete one. uh, In the same way that in yoga, um, sometimes we refer to the the drishti, the, the point that you're looking at in a particular pose. You're holding, and in this pose, you're looking at your toes. But in this pose, you're looking at the sky, that might be your nen for that particular activity. But then your nen in some traditions could also be uh, a mantra, for example, or it could be the name of the Buddha. It's something that you're holding all the time. So the fifth awakening, we're told, is not to forget that thing. And then it doesn't tell us what that thing is. It is also called to maintain right thought, which is also a loose translation. What it, what it is saying there is it's also to, to guard or to protect the correct nen, the correct object of attention. This helps you to guard the Dharma so you won't lose it. It's, it's unusual language, I think, for this particular tradition. 
mindfulness right now is uh, is the topic of a lot of conversation inside the Buddhist world, because on one hand it's become a kind of movement, and in other ways a kind of industry, and there's this. Uh, excitement about what it might be able to offer the culture and simultaneously there's this feeling especially among some buddhists of skepticism or concern about what that might mean it's presenting a a very secularized version of certain kinds of buddhist practice and on one level it seems very exciting because there's clearly a way to talk about Buddhist practice, not just Buddhism, but Buddhist practice, in a way that is much more accessible than the way that we might talk about it here, for example, and that includes a lot more people. And I think most people would agree that if everyone in the world were to take up some sort of mindfulness practice today, that tomorrow the world would just be a better place. I'm not sure exactly what that would look like, but it would be a step up to have people paying more attention to what they're doing. I asked someone today who is is very much part of that world if there was a one-sentence definition of mindfulness from the perspective of the, the mindfulness movement. And the sentence I got was, paying attention on purpose without judgment. That's mindfulness. If everybody did that, that would be pretty exciting. But then there's also this concern that is being packaged as a commodity, that is being sold as a tool, and that that tool is, when it's divorced from the larger context of Buddhism, is something that you can sell to ordinary people, but that you can also sell uh, to the people in power as a way of helping them be better at having and wielding power. So you you offer CEOs mindfulness courses so that they can be better at being CEOs. And we hope, of course, that it would bring with it a shift in the way that they understand their role or their relationship to others. But it doesn't have to. The thing to remember, though, if we find ourselves getting a little bit worked up about how this all looks is that that's no different from Buddhism in general. We can use Buddhism for all sorts of evil ends. There's When we sit, particularly in this tradition, in the way that we do, we're holding a kind of spaciousness. We don't frame Zazen in this tradition in terms of Uh, concentration and discipline so much as a kind of letting go, a kind of opening. But in fact, while you're dedicating all of your resources to keeping that space open, you are simultaneously cultivating a kind of concentration and a kind of discipline. And I think what people find is that that after a while there's a very fine line, a, a very delicate line, between that kind of spaciousness 
and a kind of uncaring objectivity. Because we're holding something big and it can feel like stepping back. It's not really stepping back. But we're developing the ability to step back at the same time. And so when we think about this idea of an object of attention, we have to be careful. What we don't want to do is to contract around something. Because as soon as we do, as soon as we choose something around which we can become small, and as soon as we let go of this effort we've been making to keep things open and wide, we find suddenly that we have this vast new pool of energy and resources that we can dedicate to our own narcissism. It's a very powerful place to be. If you just decide that you don't need to be inclusive in the way that you're holding the practice, you'll find probably that you've developed a greater skill at being exclusive than you had before. A kind of impartial view that maybe you didn't have previously, but that was kind of stirring along the way. And once you take that object of attention and you really hold on to it, it can become a kind of diving into yourself that is exactly not the direction we want to go. So we're told here that the fifth awakening is not to forget that object. And also to guard the correct one. And we'll come back to what that might be. The Buddha said, Monks, for seeking a good teacher and good help, there is nothing like not forgetting your object of attention. If you practice this, robbers of desire cannot enter you. Now we're worried about robbers. Therefore, therefore, you should always maintain mindfulness in yourself. If you lose it, you will lose all merits. But when your mindfulness is solid, you will not be harmed. Even if you go into the midst of the robbers of the five sense desires. It is like wearing armor and going into a battlefield. So there is nothing to be afraid of. This, again, is not the language we usually hear in this tradition. We avoid language that has to do with self-protection, that has to do with being guarded. And so for me, when I read this, it's a little jarring. It doesn't quite fit with what I'm used to. 
But I think if we follow it, we can make some sense of it. If you do this practice, if you are able to maintain and protect this correct object, robbers of desire cannot enter you. But if you lose it, you lose everything. So what is our object of attention? In, in the Tibetan world, there's, there's what's called lojong practice. There are these slogans, I think 57 of them. Um, and actually there's a set of them over there, these cards. And people choose one phrase or one slogan and they, they hold it for a day or for a week or for a month and it becomes an area of investigation for them. And one of my favorites reads, uh, perform every action with one intention. This is what comes to mind when I read this, because there are two ways for us to understand this phrase, and that's why I like it so much. Perform every action with one intention, on one hand, can be understand, understood in very much the way that we understand mindfulness practice, which is that in every action, you bring to that action a singular intention. Usually we would say the intention to perform that action so that we get into this kind of Zen speak of when you tie your shoes, you just tie your shoes. And when you wash the dishes, you just wash the dishes. And when you walk, you just walk. That you bring this one purpose to each thing that you do. But of course, there's another way to read it, which is that you perform every intention, every different, sorry, that you perform every action, every different action in your life with one singular intention that you are bringing to each and every action that colors, that permeates your world. So we can understand it, for example, in terms of what we talked about last week and the idea of being a bodhisattva, the idea that a bodhisattva is a straight line. There is one intention that is carrying you through everything. And of course, like any good teaching, we should understand it simultaneously in both ways. Both ways are true. Another way to think about this distinction is is to think about a ball. We say, keep your eye on the ball. And when we say that, we usually mean, because there's a ball coming at you. Right? So you're responding. You're keeping your eye on this thing that is coming. This is one way of approaching practice. Whatever comes up, be with it. Don't duck. Don't dodge. And by all means, do not look away. There's a ball coming at you. This is the reality of your life. 
the universe is constantly throwing a ball. How you respond to it is completely up to you. This is one way of thinking about attention. It's not an attention that we choose, except that we decide to pay attention. And then whatever happens, that's where we go. The other way to think about attention is to think about the person who's, who's throwing the ball. When you throw the ball, you don't look this way and throw that way. Right? The only way you're going to throw it to where it want, you want it to go is to be looking at that place. It's really a difficult skill. It's difficult to teach to children. Because you, you have a ball in your hand. Right? You want to look at the ball. You want to follow the ball as it goes. But that's not how you do it. And I remember for myself that discovery that if I actually looked there and threw the ball there, that sometimes it would be a perfect hit. And I had never been able to do that before. I'm 41 years old. I still don't completely understand how that works. But it does. This is another way of maintaining an object of attention. It's a longer view. And it has much more to do with an intention that you're holding than with simply the intention to be present. We're asked to do both. But what I want to encourage is for us to think in terms of throwing the ball. And I say that because I think that that action is an easier way for us to understand space. When the ball is coming at you, what you see is something that's narrowing. You see yourself, you see something to protect, you see something to catch, and you see the world getting smaller very quickly. That's a responsive or a reactive practice. But when you've chosen something that's out there, something from which your eyes never waver, then you're always holding the space between you and it. Your practice is that space. If you throw a ball at a target, it's not as if that action is limited to the target and is not limited to the ball. It's that entire field of movement. You can't take away even one square inch of space. To understand mindfulness in the way that it's being discussed here, it must be bigger than you. Your object of attention must be larger than yourself.
robbers of desire cannot enter you. The surest way to be safe from robbers is to have nothing for them to take away. But for that to be possible, you must create something that's open. It can't be something that you're holding tight. It can't be something that you're trying to grab. When mindfulness is solid, you will not be harmed, even if you go into the midst of the robbers of the five sense desires. Five sense desires, we're just talking about being distracted by the world. If you know what that object of attention is, if you are solid in your relationship to it, then someone can come and tickle you and it doesn't matter. Right? They can offer you ice cream and it doesn't matter. Because you know where it is and you know which way you're moving. And you know that there's nothing that could be taken from you in an act of distraction. There's this beautiful image that we see sometimes, in, in, especially in Chinese Buddhism, of a dragon, and the dragon holds a black pearl under his chin. These, this is the Chinese dragons, right? They don't have big arms. <laughs> so it's all, it's all chin. It's, you know, it's this kind of action. It's, it's, they hold it and they're guarding it. And that pearl, depending on who is talking about it, is, is enlightenment or is the Dharma itself. That's what they're protecting. They're guarding it. And so there's a lot of imagery around going and taking it. You have to be able and willing and prepared to go and take it from that dragon. But what's wonderful about it is that the dragon can't lose it. The dragon wants you to take it. For the dragon, there can be no loss. And so though it looks like protection it's it's much more than that it's it's just holding something in trust that's a spacious way of guarding something that's a way in which you can guard yourself Not so that you're holding tight to who you are. Not so that you're in fear that something might pull the rug out from underneath you. You're holding yourself in trust so that you can be skillful now, and now skillful now, and skillful now. You're available. It is like wearing armor and going into a battlefield. 
So there's nothing to be afraid of. But it's really the opposite. It's like walking into a battlefield naked. Because that battlefield is yours. There is no threat. I'm not going to tell you what your object of attention should be, but I'll give you a hint that it probably has a little flavor of generosity to it. Just that. If it has just that one spice, makes it something that can never, never, never be stolen. By definition. And that's my understanding of what we're talking about here. And there I'll stop. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.